Hello, everyone, and welcome to Does That Hold Up, the movie podcast about your childhood. On today's episode, I'm talking with comedian Dylan Trahan about the 90s rom-com You've Got Mail. As always, you can follow me in the podcast on Twitter at Eli the Robot and uh, tweet at me your thoughts about You've Got Mail or movies in general. Before we kicked this off, uh, I wanted to talk about Gene Wilder, and I don't know if this is the right avenue for it, but it is an avenue available to me. If you're listening to this by now, you know that uh, Gene Wilder passed away, and actually Dylan and I got that news while we were recording, although that part was um, cut out. I just wanted to talk as a comedian and a fan and a writer and an actor about what Gene Wilder uh, meant to me. If you don't want to hear that, that's fine. Skip ahead. I don't blame you. Um, this is a self-indulgent uh, endeavor already. But g- growing up, um, when I grew up, Gene Wilder was already kind of done with acting. And so I found him through his old movies, of course, as, as we all did. And he was such an immense talent both as a performer and as a writer and i always point to you know you look at uh the producers young frankenstein blazing saddles willy wonka and they're all such iconic performances and they're all completely different characters and he was a theater guy and and he didn't appear on screen until the age of 36 and he still did such amazing things with his career and he was a huge inspiration to me Um, and how versatile he is. And in some odd way, I feel like he's often a comedic actor that's forgotten. Uh, He's not incredibly important, but he's not really in the conversation anymore. No one really says anymore, well, that guy's just like Gene Wilder, um, because he was one of a kind. And yeah, he, he inspired me a lot as a performer, and he taught me how neuroses can be funny and when to go big and when to go small. He is the master of both the freak out and the pregnant pause. He can, he can do anything and all of his characters, if not likable are immensely watchable. He uh, exuded charisma, but was also able to do it in this way where it never, like you can watch Leo Bloom on screen and it's captivating but Leo Bloom himself is not a charismatic character. Um, and it's it's really interesting to me. And I know it's a celebrity death. It's, it's not someone I knew, but much as with other people, um, he did have a profound impact on my life just through his body of work. And so this has no real point to it. I just, I just wanted to talk about it as this is a movie podcast and, and ostensibly a comedy podcast. And I just wanted to say uh, thanks to to Gene Wilder. Okay, let's get into it. I have a lot to talk with you about this movie because I've, I've never seen this movie 
I don't. I, I, it's it's a weird one, right? I I don't know that I've seen any movie with Meg Ryan to completion. I don't blame you. She even even though I love this movie, anyways, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, you you had told me about how it's always interesting knowing people's uh, tastes as a kid growing up because you don't really think of them consciously. They're just totally yeah. It's just something that's buried in there. Yeah, and you said that this is kind of the movie that you didn't watch it every day, but if you didn't know what else to watch, it was something that you would put on. Like, and I would assume this is st- still the sort of movie where. If you like saw it on TV, no matter what part it was at, you would probably like sit down and watch a bit of it. Absolutely. If I watched TV, that would be 100% true. But I just bought it on iTunes today because I was like, you know what? I don't. The only thing I have this on is VHS, so I should buy this. And, <laughs> and I enjoyed watching it again today. It was just as just as pleasantly um, watchable as ever. I think that's the most like high praise I can give to a movie of this of this stature is that it was it's incredibly watchable. It is. It's it's very um, it, it, in a good way. It's like if you're having kind of a downer day and it's like raining outside. It's not the worst day. Just you know, it's raining outside, and work was work. You had to deal with some jerks, and then uh, the person you're living with, uh, your partner, comes up and like hugs you from behind. That's this movie. Yeah. Well, it's enchanting. I mean, the movie, they say it a million times in the movie. She was enchanting, and like, and it's it's that's what the movie is. I think that like that like that Upper West Side sort of atmosphere permeates straight through every part of this movie. Like, they're the the image of the Upper West Side, not the real Upper West Side. But mm-hmm. when I have did no you idea what the Upper West Side is like? When did you first see this? Like, you were? Do you remember how you saw it and sort of what grabbed you about it? Uh, it would have been on VHS. My mom probably bought it at the video store, like in our local video store when they decided to sell it. So it would have been probably a year after it came out on VHS. So it would, I would have been nine, ten years old probably. Um, which is funny because there was one other VHS tape I was wearing out at that time and it was Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Hmm. So if you picture me at nine years old watching like two movies back and forth, like warring for my attention, one is about a bunch of new york assholes <laughs> and like it's almost like 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 if if you took all of the woody allen out of a woody allen movie uh, it's kind of what this movie is and then the worst star wars movie well actually that's not i that's arguable but anyways that's not what we're talking about <laughs> but those two movies were warring for my attention it's interesting that this one really lasted this one stuck with me yeah, I I think I would be more worried if if it had been episode one that still held your gaze. Uh, so this this movie, before I get into like a beat by beat, which is what we usually do, I wanted to comment about this movie is such of a time. I think it was released in ninety eight, and and is so specific to that time period that it's virtually unrecognizable to me as a time that existed. Oh yeah. It's 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 a blink and you'll miss it time period because it was the dawning of the internet. Some of the stuff still holds, but a lot of it is. Well, before the Warner Brothers symbol even appears on screen, the movie dates itself with dial tone. Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten the the name of the studio on screen yet, and already the movie's dated. Where kids watching this now would be like, "What the fuck is that horrible sound?" <laughs> Sorry, can I swear on here? I just realized. Oh, uh huh. Yes. Uh, I believe in an episode I used the phrase cock block, so it's fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll still try and avoid it just for the sake of 
posterity. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, not only the the internet angle, because uh, I I read up about this movie a little bit, but it's also like the yuppie culture and. The idea that it, it was also very surreal for me because I worked in independent bookstores for five years. Yeah, they're uh, still they're still here. They're, <laughs> they're still here, but the the culture, like the the threat, is is so much different. And I don't know. We'll we'll get into it, but also this sort of um, I've uh, I've I've been to New York. I I obviously uh, as a tourist and like uh friends showed me around or whatever so i certainly will never claim to be an expert on it um and it's it's an interesting time be of 98 because that is when new york started to get more gentrified and and, and safer and this is presented as a very wholesome new york oh yeah uh, and it's also there's a line in here somewhere Tr- look toronto's expensive vancouver's expensive new york isn't just expensive but to think of it makes you think the word expensive. Um, yeah, oh, it's exclusionary. And like, you can't live there unless no. you have. And, and and there's a line in it when when uh, spoiler alert, they're going to shut the store down and mm. her one employee goes, "Where am I going to find another part time job? I'm not going to be able to live in Manhattan anymore. I'm going to have to move to Brooklyn." Yeah. And that whole sentence to me was just like. Again, I felt very alien. Where yeah. I was like, "This is what a life was like. You could have a part-time job and live in Manhattan." I think that was already. I mean, at least my understanding of that time is like, even like that. Even people in New New York watching Friends in the '90s were like, "This doesn't make sense. How do these people with the jobs they have live in this neighborhood?" Yeah. It's all in the same neighborhood. I mean, they justify it with rent control. Even in this movie, they do. Frank says that he's got rent control. Uh, George, four, yeah. what did he say? Six, or is it George? Yeah, George. Yeah. He just says like six rooms for four fifty a month. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> I can't mean? get one room for four fifty a month. No, it's like even with rent control, that seems a little bit wild. But I mean, I've heard crazier things, I guess. Okay, so yeah, do you, so you usually do a beat by beat. Yeah, uh, generally we'll we'll try to go fast. Like I I took notes throughout. You by no means were obligated to, but as someone who hadn't seen the movie before, I just wanted to keep it in my head. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of the I'm kind of an expert on this film. Yeah, I think you're fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, it opens up with sort of the stereotypical rom com of helicopter shots over the city. It's a love letter to New York. Um, Except it's uh, computer graphics and uh, cutting edge of the time. I'm sure it was interesting. It they have aged very, very poorly. It looks like it was like remember like when Monopoly used to like give you a CD ROM in the in, <laughs> in your cereal box and like that's what the game looked like was like the opening to this movie. Yeah, I also yeah. couldn't help but think of Have you seen They Came Together? No. Uh, so David, it's a David Wade and Michael Showalter who did What Hot American Summer, and and it's a parody of rom coms. Oh. Pretty specifically, this rom com. Oh really? Yeah. So I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, I'll um, have to watch that. Yeah, you'll like. I think it's on Netflix. It's good. It's it's hilarious. If you like, if you like What Hot American Summer. Yeah. Um. So it opens on we met we met with Meg Ryan, who is 
owns an independent bookstore called Shop Around the Corner, named after the movie this is loosely based on. Um, and she is quirky and pretty and wears very whatever the opposite of revealing is clothing. Yeah, she, uh, like she's like a kind of like a school mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and intentionally, I think too. Like, yeah. I think that's kind of what they're going for. Is oh, like yeah. the sort of reserved. Like, yeah, she, it, she, this is one of the most hermetically sealed romantic comedies of all time. Like, even though, the, like, anyways, the lifestyles that we'll get into in a minute of all these characters are ridiculous, but hers is definitely uh, clean. Yeah, well, it's it's something where it's this this movie in some ways is absolved of all need for sexual tension. Totally. Um, and it's it's very much an is slash attempts to be an intellectual wrong com in that they're only attracted to each other intellectually because it's yeah. through the internet um it's totally something that's borrowed from the 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 shop around the corner the movie it's based on because right. they they're exchanging letters the same idea they only know each other well they still know each other in real life but same idea they don't know each other but they do know each other but they only love each other through letters yeah and and she has greg kinnear uh who Charming, I must say. Charming. Only a couple years ago, he had left the soup to be an actor. Seems to be going well for him. Yeah. Uh, He has kind of a dickish haircut. Yeah. Classic 90s um, boyfriend that isn't going to last through the entire film. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's a a technophobe. uh, Which I fucking love. I think it's hilarious. Because it's his opinions actually end up being less stated than the people who are fighting, arguing with him about technology. No one really argues with him, but like the judgment that you're supposed to have of this character ends up being something that I think like sort of permeates most of our culture today. Where it's like we should probably get away from the screen a little bit. So it ended up being the dated message of this film is that you should judge this guy. Yeah, really. Uh, and then Parker Posey is Tom Hanks's girlfriend. Another fantastic, fantastic. I- I think that character is so underserviced, but I think Parker Posey is great. Exactly. Well, that's, like, she is barely on screen, but she's one of the things I remember. Her and Greg Kinnear are the things I remember most about this film. Like, odd, odd archetypes. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, Parker Posey is, like, the archetypical terrible girlfriend. But but she's not. Still, like... But yeah, you don't hate her, right? Like you do, but like you kind of are you're kind of on her side for the most part. There's the one scene in the elevator later on that we'll get to. Yeah. They just make her into a, a bitch, but like early on she's you kind of like I like how anal retentive this person seems to be. Yeah, well, it was interesting cuz watching this and maybe this is to the movie's credit, I guess. Um these people that they're currently with, you understand because it's romantic comedy, you're like well, obviously, they're not going to stay with them, but they're really not villainized. No, not at all. It's interesting. I mean, they make her seem irritating, but they do the same thing to Tom Hanks, actually. Yeah. They make him out to be a bit of a dick. Like, And I always yeah. forget how good he is at playing a dick. Yeah, oh, he's um, fantastic. And it ma- reminds me of like his role in uh, A League of Their Own. Uh, and it's just... There's no crying in baseball! Yeah. Uh, and... So, I can do. <laughs> so 
they their their respective partners leave the house and they both go uh online and there's weird like sneaking around music as though a computer is a dirty yeah. thing to have yeah um, well as if yeah they couldn't just be on a computer and and it's they interesting we're more confused about like what are you doing on that computer at this time of the day yeah and, also meg ryan's laptop is like encyclopedia levels of thickness <laughs> it's insane yeah and it's also sometimes when they're like using them in bed i'm like doesn't that hurt your legs to yeah. have 20 pounds on your whatever yeah um it's, it's... so the, these two characters are essentially having an emotional affair and it's interesting because we're the context of this movie that Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks had already been in Sleepless in Seattle, had already been in Joe versus the Volcano, and yeah. are two of the most winning people of the 90s. We are predisposed to like them. Yeah. But from one perspective, I'm just kind of like, no, they're they're immediately having an emotional affair, which is sort of, I don't know if that was a term back then, because I only heard it. It was only pointed out to me that that was a thing, I think, in high school. And I think we tend to, I'm generalizing we, I'll say me, uh, until that point, I tended to think of as an affair needing to have something physical to cement that it was an affair. Does that make sense? No, totally. I mean, this movie kind of, like, because it happened to me so early on in my life, this film, I, like, thought of that for a long time as something, but... I mean, I probably just got the internet when this movie was coming out, so the idea that people were dating online was even confusing to me about this movie. Like, because it's Frank, but Steve Zahn's character, what's his character again? George. George. I don't know why I keep wanting to say Frank. That's Greg Kinnear's character. Right. So George even says at one point, like, the internet's just another way for me to get turned down by women. Mm hmm And it's like, at that time, was it, though? Like... Were people online dating that much? Like, I guess they must have been. Otherwise, the conceit of the film really wouldn't have sold. But Yeah, well, it is that they never... There is some novelty to it, and, and it made me realize, I'm like, oh, yeah, fucking chat rooms. Yeah. Remember those? Uh, and it's this sort of... Uh, like I said, there's so much I'm interested in talking about with this movie just as a time capsule. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's so Web 1.0, uh, which is a phrase nobody uses anymore. But yeah. and I actually wrote sort of a personal essay about this. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. But the internet initially was a place to purposely hide your identity, and at its best, it was an exchangement of ideas freely before the internet became the internet. Yeah, uh, as as we know it, and. As has progressed, we're actually encouraged to show everything about ourselves and to, and to be anonymous is, is weird and off-putting. Yeah, it's become exhibitionist now. It, it has. And uh, something that interested me, besides Dave Chappelle being in this... Oh, my God. Uh, which just made me do, like, a <laughs> double take. That's what I was saying when we were talking about this last night when I said, like, I can't wait to hear your reaction to the casting in this film. <laughs> yeah, I will say Steve Zahn is perfect. One of my favorite characters in the whole film. Um, and I kept thinking he looked like Alex P. Chilton from Michael J. Fox, like from Family Ties, like Michael J. Fox's oh, yeah. character. Yeah. Um, just the haircut and whatever, and even his voice a little bit. But he might have been taking that a little bit actually, because he definitely is like he's doing something. Yeah. He's not just Steve Zahn. 
No. He's pretty but he's not just Steve Zahn. Uh, and, and so Meg Ryan says to her bookstore pals that, you know, she met this dude on a chat room. And that chat room sounds like one of the most wholesome chat rooms that have ever existed. The over 30 room? <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but that, like, there was that type of discussion and politeness. Because I went on chat rooms as a kid, and... They were some of the filthiest places imaginable. Yeah, I never, I, I was like terrified of chat rooms. I, I don't think I ever even, like, even after watching this movie and having them romanticized, it never, nothing ever drew me towards chat rooms. They just sounded like the place where your childhood goes to die. Yeah, my childhood <laughs> still do. started dying pretty early. Um, yeah. I mean, but, I don't want to sound like I was some sort of Puritan there, but. Yeah. Uh, those those like frightened me mainly because people just seem mean on chat rooms. Well, it's we're coming at this from an interesting angle, different angles because my dad has always been an early adopter of everything, and a large reason for that, at least to my knowledge, besides like his general interest, is he needed it for work. At the time uh, of me growing up, my dad was a freelance illustrator. And he didn't live in a big city anymore, so he had to keep all his contacts via, like, he would FedEx over artwork, and he had probably one of the first scanners, and we were probably one of the first people I know to get broadband, just because he needed it for work. And, and so the computer was never a scary thing to me. It was a fascinating thing to me, yeah. uh, and an interesting way to connect with uh, people. And I never... Chat rooms, again, because it's so much, it's all white noise. Like, they never really grabbed me. But uh, I became a member of a forum I will not name, which was predominantly teenagers. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. They, I remember looking for those when I was younger. But then I was always creeped out by the fact that they might not be teenagers. And then... Of, of course. Yeah. Uh, and and, I, and I, I am being idealistic by... by pretty confidently saying most of them were but i i had friends from all over the states and i had to get aol instant messenger which i'd never heard of to to talk to them because that wasn't a thing in canada yeah no we never really used aol no i'm sure some people did but definitely wasn't like that never occurred to me i remember people using icq and what were the other ones uh Past that, it was it was ICQ and and AIM were the two biggest ones. Yeah. Past that was like MSN Messenger, yeah. which was a little more personalized. And I would I was recklessly, I was so reckless about the internet. Like I remember once cruising an art site and somebody had art that I liked. It was his personal site, and he was a teenager, and he had his email. So I just added him to AOL. Yeah, this guy I don't know. <laughs> I was like, nah, and I just added him, and I yeah. and I talked to him for like a year. There was yeah. I, I was part of I was part of a they used to do this thing on forums where it was uh, you would basically do on a thread, you would have an RPG, you would all have characters, you would all build the plot together, but it was just like group storytelling, really. Um, and so I became friends with someone from England and just like all this, I don't know, it's, I have such a weird nostalgia for this, this era of anonymity, that, that word that I can't say, yeah. being anonymous. It's interesting. Uh, yeah. And that movie, this movie's like entirely 
built upon that idea that just doesn't exist. I mean, it still exists, but it's something that the majority of, I'd say it, it hasn't become any more popular. Like, if anything, people have adopted being themselves online, but less people want to go online to just be a part of a chat room. Even, like, looking to meet people online has gotten less. I mean, unless you count dating sites and and connection sites like that. But, I mean, we don't really think of that as online anymore. No, we don't. And it's it's gone completely the other way. And, boy, do I sound a thousand years old. But... I was talking to a friend about this where with, with Tinder or OkCupid's a little different, but we've actually, the pendulum has swung entirely the other way where it used to be intellectual and now it's back to being all uh, visual. And it's, it's become a meat space online almost. Like, yeah. You know, like, to a real person, but you're not. I mean, uh, you are, but you're not talking to that person as they would in real life. Yeah, the, the reason for talking to them is not an intellectual interest to start. Um, and I, I was talking to a friend of mine about this where it kind of weirded me out. I'm like, well, I'm just attempting to talk to someone because of an initial physical attraction. And that's kind of weird. Right. And she yeah. went and she's like, well, that's what fucking meeting someone in a bar is. Yeah. Like it's, it's the, the medium has changed, but the, the intent is not. And I don't know. It was an interesting perspective. Uh, I'm curious to see how much of this talk I'll cut out, but uh, no, but I, I'm interested. It'll it'll inform the rest of our conversation. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. In it. And and so uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, they know each other on the internet. They somewhat improbably live in the same city, and not just the same city, the same neighborhood. The same neighborhood, which is just that's a romantic comedy conceit. Fine. Yeah. Um, and they constantly talk. To each other, uh, Tom Hanks. The the central uh, issue is that Tom Hanks owns uh, Fox and Sons. It's like Barnes and well, Noble. It's, it's like a giant chapters. Barnes and Noble or Chapters Indigo. It's a corporate bookstore, and she owns this shop around the corner, which is a tiny children's bookstore. Uh, which and, is indelibly imprinted on my brain at this point too. The, that vision of what a bookstore is. I uh, I worked at a kids bookstore. I, 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 I would love to. I still this like I think this shop and this movie is like a setting that I will be constantly trying to recreate from my brain, not realizing I'm even doing it in all of my writing. Like I've I've like just in writing exercises, like daily writing. Sometimes I'll just write a description of a place. And I realize watch this movie. I'm like I've written a basic description of this store as different stores, but like that store from that movie, like so many times. It's, so it's it, they do a good job of representing a children's bookstore in this film because it really does feel like a place you would go and just be charmed. Yeah, and it's 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 an idyllic version of it. Um, the children's bookstore I worked at, everyone except my boss was great. My boss is uh, prone to overreaction. Is the kindest <laughs> way I can phrase it, yeah. uh, and she eventually fired me. <laughs> for bullshit reasons but at that point i was like you i don't want to work here anyway this is awful and it's interesting to me again coming from a perspective of just having worked in indie bookstores where sort of what makes them survive nowadays 15 almost 20 years later is is specialization so her bookstore would totally still be around oh yeah exactly um it's and, that's the one thing that uh, i mean you could say is kind of 
ludicrous about this movie is that, like, I mean, it doesn't feel like it in the film, but the fact that she, her bookstore is so threatened, which isn't, I mean, impossible, yeah, but it's New York. Mm-hmm. And it's a large market. There's room, even in one neighborhood, I would hazard a guess, for a children's bookstore and a big box bookstore. But, yeah. uh, once again, romantic yeah. comedy, film conceit. Yeah, it happens. Um, and, and so there, Tom Hanks finds out about this little bookstore. They don't know that they know each other yet. Uh, he goes and scopes it out. And uh, with with his uh, intergenerational family that includes two small children who are uh, his aunt, his aunt and his brother, brother um, which is like a fun random thing. Like there's a lot of cool details in here it's, that are interesting and fun just for the sake of being fun, really. Yeah, I could pick apart just those little things about this movie all day, like just little things like that that I love. In fact, there's a scene right before this one where he's sitting around with the father and grandfather who, the, the grandfather having a child much younger, that is his aunt, so like a seven-year-old probably daughter, and then his dad has like a maybe four or five-year-old son mm-hmm. who's his brother. Uh, and when he's sitting around with his grandfather and his father talking about the business, he has a... Like, they're talking about, oh, it's too bad City Books has gone under. Another bookstore that recently went under because of them opening. Or because they're opening. And they're kind of, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, we took him out. And Tom Hanks is doing, like, finger guns at his grandpa. And his grandpa's <laughs> doing, like, a two, two, like, finger guns back at him. Like, we're destroying these local businesses. And it's like, you just took the hero of a romantic comedy and had him, like, like do that in this moment. It, so that whole dynamic of like his family is really bizarre and I think incredibly charming about this film is that they they make it one of those families that you'd meet and be like, the fuck is wrong with this family? Well, it is, and it, you're right. It, it, charming is the best way to describe it. Uh, Nora Ephron knows what is charming, and I, yeah. I believe having read interviews with her and stuff, part of the reason is that she is... She's a very passionate person. She cares a lot about her product, but more than that, she just has a completely uncynical, unjaded uh, concept of romance and love. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and sees the best sides of people. An interesting side note: Michael Palin was in and cut out of this movie. Yeah, I saw that when I was looking into this up last night. I would love to know what what the role was. Like, what was Michael Palin in this film that ended up getting cut out? Uh, and justifiably, I can't imagine him not being out of place. Oh, of course. He would have been so out of place. Like he he would have, just... and must have been the reason why he got cut out, because I'm sure it was hilarious, whatever he was doing. But, like, what was he doing? Yeah, I don't he? know. I, I, I read, I think he was like an author that would come in and do readings, and he was an asshole, but, like, I have no idea. Uh oh. Yeah, and and so uh, Meg Ryan and, and Tom Hanks, I will not remember their character names. Um, her name is Kathleen, his name Kathleen is Kathleen Kelly. Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox. Joe Fox, yeah. Um, F-O-X. F-O-X, that spells Fox. Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks really hit it off, and, and Tom Hanks desperately tries not to say he's with Fox Books. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, they're very charming. Initially, when... Because he goes with his... With his uh, extended family, these two kids, and... They're at some kind of like New Jersey street festival. What? Where are they? Uh, I don't know. It says it's like some sort of fall fair. I read the banner this time because I never actually bothered to try and figure that out until today. And yeah. it said there's a banner in the background that says fall something or other. Okay, great. We are like approaching Thanksgiving. That's right. Like, yeah. If you yeah. think about the amount of time that's covered in this film, it's actually pretty, pretty impressive that it's like beginning of fall. Uh, through to Christmas before the third act, <laughs> and then into spring. Yeah, yeah, almost almost a year, probably like eight months. Yeah, but yeah, the fall fair uh, with one of my favorite points in the whole movie because the soundtrack just carries so much. This has a great soundtrack, I will say. It is fantastic. It is amazing. Uh, yeah, I remember that was one of the things that charmed me about this movie and probably the thing that made me keep coming back to it because all of these songs mean something to me now because of this film. Interesting. Yeah, and, and so I'm going to... I say this all the time. I'm going to try to speed through this just for time's sake because there's more things I want to talk with yes. you about. Um, so Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks meet at this literary dinner party thing. They throw daggers at each other. They still don't know who they are to each other beyond in, in an internet sense. Um, it is at this point that I would like to throttle Meg Ryan. I found her, it's like she was so, she was trying to be charming so hard that it went back around again and just made me dislike her. Yeah. Also, Um, one of my favorite expositions in the whole film is right here when a guy comes up to her and apropos of nothing says, I guess not apropos of nothing she does on a bookstore, but he goes up to her and says, I can't believe you're talking to Joe Fox. Yeah, no. Like the important expository information we needed that very moment and then she goes joe fox he goes as in he's gonna take over everything yeah (laughs) it's it's always so clunky and so funny where writers think they can get around exposition by having it's 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 when other characters say to the main character what that main character's traits are yeah and if nothing else if someone came up to me and no matter how accurate they were if they were my best friend and, and, and they went, well, you know how you are, man. I mean, you're really self-destructive and you don't think you deserve to be happy, so you'll deliberately destroy something from within. Uh, <laughs> the, my initial reaction, because that is a true statement, would be like, fuck you, man. Yeah. Like, I would not respond <laughs> kindly to that. Yeah, no, There's this movie has a lot of moments like that where someone described, luckily most of it's done through email. So, like, they get away with it by being intentionally flowery with their language and, like, they're describing things about, usually themselves, actually. They both talk at each other. Yes, which I actually found a very clever way to get around the narration that would have been necessary to tell me who the fuck these people were. um, Otherwise. Because they're telling two separate stories um a lot of time in this film i I will say in in terms of emails i felt that hanks and 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 meg ryan both kind of talked the same way like there wasn't a lot of differentiating in in the language they used but maybe that's what they have in common and i agree with you that it was a good way around it so her business is in trouble because of joe fox and that's fine i don't know that a store would shut down that quickly i feel like they would at least get to the end of the financial year 
Yeah. Um, but but plot wise, sure. They've gotten under it. Yeah, they don't even try and fight it. No, they they do a little bit, and then nothing. Well, yeah, changes. they try and fight it, but like they give up within months. Yeah. Of their profits going down, instead of just assuming that that's going to happen because there's another bookstore in town, and eventually they'll balloon back up once once people get tired of the new thing. Yeah, which they even yeah. say at one point. Yeah. Um, which is funny because. Uh, the, uh, yeah, we have, we'll get back to that when we get to that point in the movie because there is a point where she asks for business advice. <laughs> well, yeah, she she asks Joe through email for business advice, and he says you gotta you gotta go to the mattresses, the Godfather. You gotta fight, and so Greg Kinnear writes an article about her. They get television press. They uh, pick it, which it's so funny to me. Again, like. I haven't been to New York once, so who, what the fuck do I know? But just living in a big city, part of me is like, yeah, depending on the neighborhood, that's totally something they would do. And part of me is like, I feel like most everyone would actually be apathetic about this. Oh, definitely. Like, this would not get the amount of press it got. Also, when they say it's an institution, at the end, she says, we're closing our door after 42 years. Like, it's what it says on the sign. Mm -hmm. Like, well, not really an institution. Like, sorry. Not quite. Like, like uh, a children's bookstore that's been open for 42 years would be upsetting to a generation. Yeah. A generation, or maybe two generations, does not an institution make, um, no. unfortunately. And it's interesting because I, I had the, the, the question, and it doesn't matter, and I recognize I nitpick like crazy, but I was like, does she own that building, or does she rent it? I know, that was bothering me too. <laughs> yeah. Like, if she owns it, she's still she, perfectly fine financially. She oh, can exactly. Easily. Uh, and, and so, I feel bad because I know you really like this movie. A couple times my notes are just, this is so fucking stupid. Oh, no. I, I like this movie fully acknowledging that there's no real reason beyond nostalgia for me to love this movie. There are great parts about this film, there but uh, it's not a great film. No. It's not even really a good film. And, There's a lot of parts that frustrate me about it. And and so uh, they agree to meet up. That is when Joe discovers that Meg Ryan is Meg Ryan. And he decides to go in as Which, Joe. Which, by the way, that scene is straight, like almost like beat for beat. The exact same as the way it's done in the uh, the old movie. Which is funny because it doesn't feel old. No, maybe that's why I liked it. It's it's a really good scene. Yeah, it's like everything from him and Dave Chappelle having a conversation. Some of those lines are literally straight from the old script. That's cool. And then inside of the restaurant, same thing. A lot of them are... Um, like the, that was the perfect combination of poetry and meanness. was straight out of Jim, uh, like, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart says that, and that's a perfect combination of poetry and meanness. <laughs> if you weren't going to do that, I was going to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, well, it's it's a great line, and it's also, uh, again, from my research, I haven't seen a lot of Nora Ephron movies, she's very devoted to the screwball romantic comedy, which is kind of my favorite type of romantic comedy, so maybe that's why I didn't mind this movie. But lines like that are just like, you see that ricocheting out of somebody's mouth in the 40s or 50s. Like, it's perfect. Yeah, it and really is. No one speaks that way, but that's fine. I know, that's why I like... I, no one speaks like anyone in this movie. No. Except for maybe, like, the scenes... The, uh, like... No, because actually the scenes that are most awful are, like, the scenes with, like, Dave Chappelle 
and Tom Hanks where they're finishing each other's sentences. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I come out to pick it, the big bad books, or they say it in unison with one another as if they've said it a million times. And like, and our cappuccinos, and they say it at the same time, yeah. like multiple times in that whole scene, they're picking up each other's dialogue as if it's a fucking Sorkin <laughs> scene. Like this, walking through the construction site like it's the White House in, in the West Wing. And I was like, uh, this is this is pretty cheesy. And it's also funny because it's they they slow down their speech as if they're saying to their friend like subconsciously, you have to say this at the same time. No one's gonna see it, but it's gonna be cool. Yeah. Um and and so Meg Ryan on Internet Joe's advice, NY one five two, I think it was. NY one five two, yeah. Yeah, um is able to tear uh, Tom Hanks apart and he and it hits him and he feels it and they're sort of not into each uh, he, he purposely starts keeping some distance with his with his online self because he just feels bad um, yeah. th- there is a scene this is so it doesn't actually it does end up mattering where uh, Greg Kinnear and Meg Ryan then go to the movies and we're talking about those like overly uh, expository bits of dialogue and Meg Ryan says about Birdie quote she is practically my surrogate mother. Yeah. And I wanted to shoot the screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just... And, but this is a part of the movie that I like, because then Meg Ryan and Greg Kinnear... Uh, Meg Ryan is clearly in love with online Hanks, and Greg Kinnear... Has fallen in love with the TV journalist. <laughs> yeah, although I actually <laughs> expected him to get together with Parker Posey. I know, me too. I would have um, loved that. that. I mean, that's... it would have been super, like... Uh romantic comedy it, it would have been it. very shakespeare yeah it would have been paired off Actually, yeah it's a good point it which i guess is the original romantic comedy sure uh and, and so um they they go to dinner or drinks whatever after the movie and they break up with each other and i actually really liked how i mean it's a little unrealistic but how they were like, well, I'm not in love with you. Well, I'm not in love with you. And no one gets hurt by that. Uh, I loved it, yeah. I, I still really love that scene. that. I really liked that. Yeah, like, I mean, it it wasn't done as well as it could have been, I don't think. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's clumsy. There's moments, but they play it really well. Like, Kinnear, like, covering his face and, like, smiling and, like, oh, fuck, like, I'm so glad this turned out this way. Like, he plays it so honestly that even though it's, like, a little bit hard to believe that, like, which is like, is there someone else? Like, I mean, I'll, although I do know people who probably could have broken up like that. So well, I don't know. It, it, it's dependent on how long they had been together, but these people were living together. And so, I don't know. Well, she says she's practically living with Frank. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so that means... So when, I think he's just kind of squatting in her apartment. I think he's got his own place. And That means that a small business owner can afford a Manhattan brownstone by herself. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, th- this is a tangent, but I, I was curious on your thoughts we have broken up with and been broken up with by people. Do you think it's better or worse when there's someone else in the picture? Um, it's a little bit of a mix, honestly. Like, because I'm thinking, like, I I've never had a situation quite like i've been on the meg ryan side of things where i'm like there's someone else but they're like there's the dream of someone else is what Mm -hmm. she says Mm -hmm. which to me thought i'm glad they don't didn't give greg kinnear an insert there 
because if they cut to Greg Kinnear, I could feel I feel like that's the point where that conversation would have turned bad, where he would have been like, "Oh, you mean you have this like dream guy? You don't love anyone else. You just don't love me because I can't fit this platonic ideal in your brain." <laughs> Which is like I'm like that's a real jerky line. Like if you if someone's breaking up with you and they're like, "Oh yeah, there's." There, you asked, is, is that, are you seeing that other person? Not yet, but I, I kind of like her. How about you? No, I'm not seeing anyone else, but I do. But I know there's someone else out there. I would prefer to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they definitely don't give him an insert there because it would have just been awkward. Like, because if he smiled through that, it would have been like, that's weird. It so I'm glad they cut on her there. It would have been like a slasher smile. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Yeah, cool. Great. It's great. Love it. Yeah, it's great. A wonderful scene. Yeah, and it's well. It's well, the interesting. They have before that scene, before the movie. I got to cut back to you for a second mm-hmm. because they 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 have the conversation where like they're trying to figure out who their rich lady who does the books for. They never really explain who she is, other than she's the, the accountant, I guess. Yeah. Um, like they they're discussing like, and he's like, "Oh, she she she. I can't believe it. She fell in love with General Lisa Franco." I'm like. <laughs> And like all of this, like, like, and then there's a line after it becomes Seinfeld for like an entire scene where he's like, "You need quiet while the hot dog is singing," because they're talking in the movie theater, yeah, the lobby. It's like it, he becomes Seinfeld for like an entire scene, and it's it's obvious but still somewhat charming. Yeah, well, it's interesting. There, there's all these. In some ways, as much as this is a straightforward movie, there are these parts where I'm like, "That's a weird facet of you as a writer, where it's something different." Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of things going on in this movie. Yeah, and and so they're broken up and they're amicable and uh, she set she shuts down the store and Tom Hanks is stuck in an elevator with Parker Posey for an hour and I guess they must all be claustrophobic or or something because they all start making these big life decisions and act like they're gonna <laughs> die. The most forced scene of that movie but the, it does give us a great moment between parker posey and tom hanks uh but yeah the they, they, tic-tac yeah. moment yeah well the part where she interrupts him and he has that look on his face it's a great true. moment for hanks, at least and like the just like because you don't get a two shot of them you just get each of their inter- like their reactions where she's like where she's like he's, he's about to say well, if I ever get out of this elevator, and then she goes, "Oh, where are my Tic Tacs?" Yeah, that was very and funny. And cuts off his moment of, of like of agency when he just looks at her like he realizes that he doesn't want to be with her. But it also just doesn't read that look on him at all, and just goes, "What?" Yeah, I don't know. I think she's fine. I don't know. I I was actually probably I'd rather be with her than make Ryan. Oh yeah, well, but I think that's because like she is interesting as a yeah. character. Meg yeah. Ryan is a bookstore owner. That's all you ever really learn about her is that she's a matronly and motherly bookstore owner. She can't wait to have kids. She loves kids. That's yep. what we know about her. The other character, like, you get a sense that she's a career-driven person who actually has interest outside of Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> she's true. a female character with agency. Which, which in some ways she is punished for. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you never see her actually get punished. Like it's you're, no. we're puni- she's punished by our point of view. That's true. Never actually by the film itself. Um, Thankfully, yeah. Because I think that would have that's because that's why her and Kinnear are great in this film. Is you never they never make them out to be 
the bad guy, really. Her a little bit more, but... Yeah, and and so Tom Hanks befriends Meg Ryan after the store is closed. Again, he still knows that she is she. He, she does not know he is he. And they begin a friendship. And that whole scene in the apartment where he's visiting her is really nice. I was surprised by how long the scene was. And, and it is a scene where, as a as a former actor... I would just be like, this is a great scene to be able to do. Yeah. Oh, and they did it really well. Like mm-hmm. it's especially since it's the it's the turning point that the whole third act depends upon. And it could have it could be so troublesome because it is a hard scene to pull off. Why would she let him come into her life at this point? After all of this. And they they pull it off with that scene. It's really charming. It is, and it's it's Although then, I, I sort of made this note that, like, Tom Hanks is getting slightly sociopathic. Because oh, I, I, and not to mention, the room he's in, every time they email, looks like a supervillain's lair. <laughs> like, it's clearly, like, a navigation, like, there's navigational tools behind him and, like, a microphone in front of him. And, like, like, like radar on the walls. Yeah, how it's did like, he get off? he's in the boat that he lives on. Well, but it's 1998. How did he get a hard line in a boat? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, in, he's in a harbor with yeah with hard line to the internet. And it's it's astounding and it's also terrifying because it's a jet black room with <laughs> no lights and he is manipulating someone trying to convince them that he's not someone else, but while slowly giving them bread breadcrumb tra- breadcrumb trail to who he actually is. Yeah, and and she is just the daftest person imaginable. Um, Although she she has so many moments of revelation starting in that scene in her apartment <laughs> yeah. that are just yeah. so painful to watch because it's like, okay, you would not have picked up on that. You're only picking up on that because we as an audience are supposed to pick up on it. Like, yeah. Like, your reaction, like, you wouldn't have this, like, wait a second, oh, wait, never mind, it's probably nothing moment if you were really I mean, in that situation. They wouldn't discuss it, That whatever, that's, that's a romantic comedy problem that abounds. Yeah. Um, it's a film problem. Too. Yeah, and and so at the at the end, right? Yeah, the, Hanks and Parker Posey broke up. There, he is living in his boat again with his father, who is also broken up, and that's very charming. Yeah, I um, love that. Too. Very charming relationship, and and so at the end of the movie, the end of the flick, Meg Ryan is going to meet internet guy. On oh. I think it's on Riverside or something, but right before that, Tom Hanks gives this. You had me at hello, speech or we live in a whatever Jerry Maguire version of speech, where he says, "If I wasn't me and you weren't you, and we had just met, we could maybe be together and and you know yeah. argue over what movie to watch, and it's a nice speech, and and they almost kiss, which again is from don't. that line specifically is borrowed from the old movie. Not well, I mean obviously not the movie part of it, but. Yeah, I'm I'm very annoyed that the apparently the parts I like most about this movie are taken from the earlier movie. Yeah, well that that scene is, uh, and the scene where he goes to visit her when she's sick as well, but it's different. They, they don't do it. That that's a that's a staging for a scene in the old movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same scene, but it's, it's the same staging. Yeah, and and so because they actually work together. That's right, and and so Meg Ryan falters, but she doesn't kiss on him. She just says, "Yeah, that would be nice," and 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 she goes to meet. 
actually, hold on. Before we go past that, mm-hmm. there's a moment that, just to add to that sociopath thing that you had brought up earlier, he says, um, what is the line that leads up to the, as long as we both shall live? Like, he makes an yeah. allusion to marriage. Yeah. In his, like, flirtation with her, that to her must sound absolutely batshit crazy because she doesn't know, although we're believe that she might be starting to pick up on who he is. And, but, and she's starting to fall in love with him a little bit, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, there's like allusion, an allusion to marriage after like, all we've seen of them together is really him bumping into her and then walking around with her while she does her grocery shopping and yeah. having coffee. like, But not planning coffee. Just like walking by while she's having coffee by herself yeah. and although, joining her. Although I would, I would guess that somehow he's planning it. Oh yes. Like, there's definitely planning involved. Like, but not on her end. So to her, this guy who keeps running into her everywhere just alluded to the fact that he wants to marry her. <laughs> yeah. So the final. Uh, yeah, it's terrifying. And and so the final is she finally, she waits at this uh, kind of very nice park and he shows up with his dog. And this, I will say this, this got me. This is good Meg Ryan acting who previously I did not care for. When she tears up, I was I was affected. I was like, that is some good cry acting. Where she yeah. goes, I hoped it was you. And they kiss. And it's because uh, he calls for his dog, whose name I forget. Um, Brinkley. Brinkley. And then I was kind of like, had you really never discussed the name of your dog with her? Yeah. Because that's something she knew about Internet Joe. Um, yeah. Whatever. I would... I, I, oh, yeah, because he shows up with his... Does he show up with his dog? Yes, he does. Yeah, and she she never has what's his name. No, yeah. and 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 so uh, they they kiss, and my initial thought was like, wouldn't you be fucking furious? Oh, totally. Um, but it is a romantic comedy, and she's not, and the big bookstore wins, and I really wanted to see like six months later because there's no like I don't know if that would last I, i'd like to think it would i guess i don't know yeah. um i was so uninvested in these two characters oh yeah it's the same actually in the old movie because like the whole point is that you don't really get to see them be like build any relationship foundation in the film until mm-hmm. the third act in the in the jimmy stewart movie you don't see them build any relationship you don't even know that either of them has feelings for each other really I mean, aside from their letters in, like, the Jimmy Stewart one until the very last scene where she admits, like, oh, when I met, I was just kind of mean to you because I liked you. Hmm. Like, until that point, you don't even know that she has any interest in meeting uh, in real-life Jimmy Stewart. Like, that she hasn't not, like, she obviously likes the guy whose letters she's been reading. But, yeah, and in this movie, you get kind of the same problem. In the third act, You she starts to maybe feel for him. But even in the scene in the bookstore, she finds him... In no way romantically interesting, at least as far as we can tell as an audience. So, like, we don't have any foundation for any actual compassion or passion between the two of them until the third act. No, and and their their small bookstore scene, yeah, like like Tom Hanks becomes attracted to her because he knows she's Internet Meg Ryan. But it actually the the initial bookstore like quasi meet cute was interesting to me because she is in the service industry and she is definitely a sunny, friendly person, but you also train yourself to be that way when you work retail. Um, exactly. 
to to some degree. Well, she's just talking to someone who came in with some kids. Yeah, and like, it, is, it is truly like I'm just being friendly because it's my job, and I'm not a mean person, but I am. For I am naturally friend. I am forcing myself to be friendly in this environment. Um, so that's so the end of the movie. I'm, yeah. <laughs> A, 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 a good ending. He's over the rainbow. Yeah. And like, and uh, and they like zoom out, crane up, out of the park. It's a nice visual ending and audio, audio ending. I don't know that the movie really leads you to believe that they're gonna stay together, but eh, I don't know. Or I don't know that I believe that it would. This, these two characters would stay together, but. Yeah, well, because it's also an interesting thing where they have such an ideal idealized version of each other because they haven't met in person, and you have so much more control over what you present yourself as when there is a time delay involved. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's why this movie is like oddly allegorical, even though it's, um, I would argue that this movie actually has more relevance now than it did when it came out. Yeah, it's more, it's much more common, the situation, really. Exactly, and like, and the whole situation of like, wait, do I actually want to meet this person? Like, are they like they're just like it's nowadays? It doesn't happen on this kind of time scale either. Very often, um, I definitely have people that I've chatted with for a very long time, and then uh, hope to meet in real life or have met in real life. Because you know, sometimes people are passing through the city. They they get they find you on online dating, and then you end up talking, and and then you end up meeting up with them when they're back in town. Yeah, but other than that, like if you live in the same city with someone, like people are, their attention spans short. You're not going to chat with someone and build this relationship with someone. Uh, not to mention, um, uh, the character who works at the bookstore sort of has this line in there that I think is another great. Like this line holds up better now than it did probably even at the time. But the she says, "Have you been? Have you been? Have you had cyber sex?" And she and she says, "Don't do it. The, the moment you do, they lose all respect for you." Yeah, I know, you, there's a, I know a lot of women who'd be like, "Totally, like that, you can't have a conversation with a guy once he starts sending you pictures of his dick." <laughs> yeah, nor do you want to, presumably. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, I think that that line sort of really does hold a lot of weight now too, because like that is, I'd say, almost fifty percent of a lot of people's sex lives, especially single people. It's like just the sexting is what it is now. It's not no one says cyber sex anymore. But. Yeah, have you done that? I've done that. Sexting? Yeah. Yeah. It it always felt super clinical to me. Is the funny thing, is is that? Yeah, it it depends. I mean, I I'd say that's like that that's something that I think is just kind of here to stay. Yeah. Because I mean it. I, we've got this new way of communicating and sex permeates everything we do. So I think that's just something you have to kind of yeah. adopt into your, into your sex life now. But uh, on a related note, hi dad. <laughs> so yeah, well it was interesting because I, <laughs> my manager actually did not like this understandably. This is years ago. Uh, I did it while I was at work, but the thing was that I was never, it was a one way street. And it was an asked for one way street. And I did it a couple times, and then she'd be like, Oh, you should do that more. And it was kind of the thing where I wanted to be like, Look, I'm tapped out. That's that's everything I can think of to say without repeating myself that is 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 relatively sexually eloquent for you. 
Like, I don't know. I don't have yeah, anything else. It's, it's, it's an exercise in writing, really. It, it honestly was. It was so clinical to me. Yeah, there's all, well, that's exactly it. You're, you're constantly, like, because to me, as someone who writes, and obviously for you as well, and I think most people who are somewhat concerned with the way they speak, like, it's not just a practice in, like, to me, if someone sent me a really poorly worded sext, I would be turned off. off. Yeah. Like, and so, like, I would never send someone something, a text that was intended to arouse them uh, that, to me, seemed clunky. Like, I would, like, you can't phone that shit in. And and I also wouldn't send it uh, unasked for. Maybe that's my own... Oh, yes, of course. ...neuroticism, but it's like, man, well, it's... You, you can't uncheck that box. That's a line you're crossing. Yeah, and it's sexual harassment, really, in its plainest form. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm assuming a lot about the situation but i'm assuming most of the time when you're just sending someone a sex they don't want it's someone you probably don't have a relationship with where you would be able to like feel out because i know lots of women who every woman i know who is even remotely um like open about these things has told me that they receive that kind of shit all the time unsolicited dick pics yeah and like unsolicited sexual like advances from guys on Facebook that they haven't seen since high school. Oh gosh, so, yeah, really? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and so I and I, I mean, I get it. I have a man's brain, so I understand like like the way your brain goes when you are like just a horny loser. Yeah, but to act on that and to like be like, but not not, and I should I should be clear that I don't mean that I ever would do that or have thought about doing doing it but that like to act on like the fact that you're just a horny loser and then send someone you don't even know a sex message would be just appalling to me that's to me just harassment well how it is and not only that from a from a selfish perspective it's like how can you send that off and not feel worse about yourself yeah exactly and that exactly you can look at it from a completely insular standpoint and still be able to say like you shouldn't do that because you are devaluing your own self-worth if you are forcing yourself upon another human being. Like, I mean, I, it, to me, that seemed, like, I mean, it's a bit of a, like, a selfish way of looking at it, but, yeah, like, how do you not think, like, I couldn't, like, couldn't be likable enough that the person would want to hear this from me? <laughs> like, how do you not feel bad after doing something like that? Yeah, and so th- this movie, um, I was talking with a friend of mine, my friend Kara, about this because she loves Sleepless in Seattle and she doesn't like this movie. Having not seen Sleepless in Seattle, I can't weigh in. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, something I sometimes ask is sort of how this movie has permeated your brain and uh, as a creative, how it has affected you. You've talked about how it has affected you in terms of you trying to recreate the feel of that bookstore in your writing, whether intentionally or not, or consciously or not. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious on the effect it's had on your writing, because both you and I, like, we, we, we were in a sketch comedy troupe together and both prone to writing more uh, character sketches, uh, sometimes derogatorily called acting sketches. So that's one side of her brain. The other side of it is that I think both you and I are very obsessed with portraying real human relationships. And I was curious not only how it's affected your work, this is a long-winded question, not only how it's affected your work, (laughs) but um, 
as kind of a side question, do you consider yourself a romantic? Uh, that's a funny question. I've actually had a bit of a journey, I'd say, in my life about that. I, I used to consider myself a romantic. Um, I, I'd say that, traditionally speaking, most people would consider me the exact opposite of that. Uh, I, I don't know why I thought, used to think of myself as a romantic. I think it's because I have a romantic view of life. But not romance in the like in the love and 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 relationship sense. I'm definitely not a romantic in that sense. But I think it's because you're so obsessed with infatuation. Movies lead you to believe that infatuation is like is love, and that love is infatuation, and that it just stays like that forever. I mean, this movie kind of has that message at the end, even yeah. though and most movies do. So I, I say I'm the the antithesis of a romantic in that sense, but I mean in terms of I don't know is is, is that sort of answer your question about romance? Like because I feel it, like it does um, because there is there's a difference between I, I think when a lot of people hear the word are you romantic they they do think of it as a uh, from a relationship standpoint, but yeah. you can you can definitely have a romantic sort of idealized want or view of the world, and and that's yeah. fine. Like I. When um, when friends of mine and I started drinking, uh, a couple of my friends who later uh, ended up having alcohol abuse problems, not even later, they it it wasn't obvious to us because we romanticized that problem. Yeah, like like Hemingway. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh yeah, the tortured artist. But it's like, you know, it's not fun being tortured, right? Yeah. It's interesting. And then how has it influenced or affected your work in terms of anything well i think i have as much as i've watched probably more romantic comedies than the average uh, adult male especially when you consider the type of things i enjoy and the sort of the like the things that are obviously um important to me like things like like literature which i guess is it ties into this film um in the but, most base way yeah just as i like it's a thematic device it's not really um, tied into the actual story, but I I'm, I I I avoid writing like romantic comedy style things. Mm -hmm. I've written a few like short scenes that uh, that toyed with the idea of a romantic comedy, like coming at it from um, a more sex positive standpoint. Because I mean, a lot of romantic comedies, like even this one, sort of portray the virginal character. Even though she's got a boyfriend, it makes it really feel like she's just... It's so non-sexual. It's neutered. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And everything about the movie is very, like, they suck the, like, sex out of it. Even though they make that, like, a few allusions to sex. It's always the other characters and not Tom Hanks or Meg Ryan. Which is a hot, classic Hollywood kind of thing. So I've toyed around with that element of it. I think it gives me... This movie gave me a great understanding of three-act structure. Um mm -hmm. Because it does have very clearly delineated acts, mm -hmm. like they are, like like they really do feel like phases of the film. I don't know if I can maybe I see that a little bit better now because I have an understanding of that structure. But um, I think this movie, because of its real adherence to that, um, even though the third act drags quite a bit. Um, it is still swift. It's it's funny because it's a quick third act, but it drags a lot. Even though it's quick, um, you kind of want the movie to be over before it's over. I don't. Know, do you feel that? I do. Um, it was interesting because uh, 
Yeah, like when I read the movie, I, I looked up the running time beforehand. I'm like, it's two hours? Okay. And uh, when we got to the third act, right before that, when she closed her bookstore, I was kind of like, why is there another half hour of this movie? Yeah. And it was interesting. Yeah, it's weird. There's there's a climax at the end of the second act that breaks off the second act from the third act. It almost feels episodic in a way. Yeah, like well, it- because the third act is so delayed by the central conceit of this movie, which is that because they of don't. business, they don't like each other. Yeah. And they're not allowed to like each other, and they won't allow themselves to like each other. But also it's yeah. that thing we talked about again, where Meg Ryan, I have no idea what's going on in her head about Tom Hanks's character for the majority of the film. No, exactly. Well, it's the same with the Jimmy Stewart movie. Like, I think it just, even though, like, you didn't get a chance to watch it before this, it, I think it's one worth watching just as a study of how to adapt something because they yeah it's it's interesting they i I think you could do a a much more interesting adaptation of this now like from like but like almost with the horror edge to it like i would love to well like um what do they call it catfishing Mm -hmm. i would love to see a film that was done like this where two people had profile pictures that weren't them you know yeah two people catfishing each other falling like kind of falling in love with this catfish version of each other. And like, I think there's there's definitely a way you could do this movie now. It's harder, though. Like, if you think about how you would do this movie now, no one emails corresponds with someone they don't know, or at least not enough that it would stand as a conceit for an entire film. Um, and it's also, because everyone has the internet on their phone, there would be a lot less uh, tension in some ways. Yeah. Well, and, like... But, like, I wonder how you would do this movie now because it sort of depends on the idea of them not sexting each other or, like, sending each other pictures of each other or, like, which, I mean, is, again, something that has become, like, a part of being online. I, I mean, some people might argue that that's not true, but I think it is. I wonder if, and, and and this is sort of, um, even though it wasn't that long ago or doesn't feel that long ago, it it was long enough ago for me to not be able to accurately know the inner workings of the teenage mind anymore. I remember my own inner workings. I don't know what's happening now, but I I wonder if a way around it would actually be to age them down and to make them like 14 or 15. Oh, and you know what? You could do like almost like a high school version of this. Yeah. uh, With like, um, because I always hear there's like, um, you can send... I, now this is going to date me because I have no clue, but I have uh, step brothers and sisters that are in high school. Uh, sisters that are both in high school, um, and I think my understanding. I worked at Tim Hortons for a while, so I worked at <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a, a thing now where they send anonymous messages to each other. Like if you like someone, you can send them an anonymous message, which would of course kind of break the conceit of this film. But you could do something like to almost uh, John Green type of characters yeah, who send each other letters because it's romantic to do this old-style thing um, to, like, romanticized sort of, like, literate teenagers yeah. who are maybe almost even add in the Romeo and Juliet idea of, like, the they're at different schools kind of thing, but they pass. There's, they could build a rivalry there. It's getting a little 50s now that I'm thinking about it. This well, school it, rivalry is never really a... a 
a thing in any movie nowadays. Do you have anything to promote? You're on Twitter, I know. Um, if you have any shows that you're producing or happening, are you doing the show out? Uh, maybe it already happened. They do shows out in like Port Stanley sometimes. Is that still happening? Oh, that actually was this weekend. Yeah, they did that. Um, so that just passed. Uh, I had a show the day before, a stand-up show that I was producing, and then I had um, uh, I had a filming yesterday for a cable show that I'm doing. Uh, so I couldn't make it out to their show. Okay. But uh, um, yeah, uh, well, it's local cable, but it'll be on line i think so I, I i don't think i have anything to plug maybe just watch you on twitter and you'll tweet yeah, about it um at dylan trahan on twitter okay cool and uh yeah yeah but keep an eye on that and you'll see when all this stuff comes up online hopefully yeah uh thanks for coming on man i'm gonna stop recording now but we can keep talking if you want